0: Joe sank into a puddle on the floor. He couldn't believe what he had just heard. His wife was leaving him and their three-year-old son for another man. Their life together shattered in an instant. What would he do now? Where would he live? How could he afford a lawyer? How would they split the house? What would happen to their little boy? In the middle of a full-blown panic attack, Joe did the first thing that came to mind. He got behind the wheel. Joe screeched out of the driveway of his picturesque home in Chicago suburbia and got on the Edens Expressway. 60, 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. He clutched the wheel, thoughts racing, bobbing in and bobbing in and out and weaving through traffic. His thoughts were interrupted, however, when he saw flashing blue lights in his rearview mirror. A few days later, Joe was sitting in court and the judge walked in. To Joe's astonishment, he knew the judge. Joe had worked with her in the past on a charity board. They'd gone out to dinner together with their families and the judge looked at the folder before her. She looked at Joe. She said, Mr. Smith, Officer Jones, tell me you were going 110 in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. Now that can't possibly be true, can it? No, Your Honor. Case dismissed. Joe was extremely lucky. He could have killed himself or someone else. He could have spent up to a year in prison for that little stunt. But he managed to escape both. He says today that someone in a high place was looking out for him in more ways than one. But Joe's anxiety almost destroyed his life or the life of someone else. Today's story from Exodus is about another time when anxiety nearly ended in total disaster. The family of God's people are at the bottom of Mount Sinai. They've been there for a while. Way back in Exodus 24, after God gives the Ten Commandments along with many other laws, Moses walks into the clouds and darkness of the mountain where he stays for 40 days and 40 nights. Basically, this is Bible speak for a long period of time. Anytime you see that number 40, it means a lengthy amount of time. Without their leader that long, the people began to get anxious. What's happened to Moses? Remember that ancient Israelite religion was absolutely nothing like going to church on Sunday morning. It wasn't tame. It wasn't rote. An encounter with God was a matter of life and death. God even tells Moses in the next chapter that no one can see my face and live. So when the people surround Aaron, their anxiety is overwhelming. They're to the breaking point. Moses, their point of contact with God, may be dead, for all they know. And they don't want God to speak to them directly to assure them. Not after what happened in Exodus 20, when God gave the Ten Commandments. God gave the commandments directly to the Israelites in Exodus 20. That experience was so terrifying for the people that they begged Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. It's a matter of life and death. So God and Moses are on the mountain together. Aaron is left in charge. And the people surround him with a demand. Make gods for us, which will walk in front of us for this man, Moses, who brought us up from Egypt. We don't know what's become of him. In a very anxious time, when it seems like God and Moses are absent, the people want something to hold on to. They want something they can cling to. And this isn't bad in and of itself. We all need something to cling to. Our faith, after all, uses physical means all the time. We use water. We use bread. We use wine. We use words. We use music. We use physical things all the time in our worship. However, what they and we are supposed to cling to, above everything else are the promises of God. They fail to remember that God had been faithful every step of the way, providing food and water in the desert and protection from enemies. In a very anxious time, where they let their anxiety overwhelm them, they mistrusted God. In an anxious time, they want God but not on God's own terms. They want God on their own terms, to be present in the way they want God to be present. They don't want any more speech from the mountain. They don't want any more fire and smoke. They want a God in their own image, condoning, comforting, and cheap. And very often we do the same thing. Perhaps not as egregiously as the Israelites, but very often we want God our own way and on our own terms. Very often we want a God who will comfort us without challenging us, who will help us feel good about ourselves without asking us to examine our lives. Too often we want the equivalent of spiritual hot dish. Cheap, filling, and unhealthy. May taste good, it's unhealthy. And Aaron, left at the foot of the mountain, tries to do the pragmatic thing. He tries to do the practical thing. He gives the people what they want. He even tries to make it part of worshiping the real God. Did you notice? He declares the next day to be a festival of the Lord. Unfortunately for Aaron and for the people, the pragmatic thing in this instance is the unfaithful thing. Giving in to the anxiety of the people nearly leads to disaster. Thank God that God is merciful. At first, it doesn't seem like it. This is an exchange between God and Moses that has baffled scholars and students of, of the faith. This is, this, is, this is such an extraordinary conversation because God seems to tempt Moses. Let me wipe these people out. And I'll make you a great nation. What a bizarre thing for God to say. Either God is truly at the end of God's rope with these people, and this is described in very human terms, or this is kind of a test. Whatever it is, and it, in the end it really doesn't matter, whatever is going on, Moses pleads with God on the people's behalf. Moses is faithful. When the people are not faithful, Moses is faithful, both to God and to the people. And in the end, God is shown to also be faithful, to be merciful. God, according to the Hebrew, repents of the evil. That's literally what it says, repents of the evil he is about to wreak on the people. What an extraordinary thing to learn about God. God repents. God turns around. God changes God's mind. And this isn't the first time this happens. This happens way back in Genesis, Genesis 6 and in Genesis 9 with the flood. Time and time again in the Bible, God changes God's mind. And it's almost always towards mercy, towards love, towards forgiveness. And when we, and we, see such mercy and love most clearly in the cross, when Jesus prays for the people who crucify him, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So often, we don't know what we're doing. That doubly goes for when we're gripped by anxiety as the Israelites were, or as Joe was when he got that phone call from his wife. But despite this, God shows us mercy. God forgives us. God frees us from having to let our fears define what we do. And God the one true God, not the ersatz image we create for ourselves, shows up time and time and time again to be an authentic relationship with us through Jesus Christ. And because God shows up, we can be the Christ-centered people God made us to be. Let us pray. Lord God, in anxious times, calm our hearts. Do not let us be satisfied with anything less than you on your terms. Keep us faithful, not only to you, but also to your people. Amen.